you've been with us for the last few months, you know that we have taken uh, quite a bit of time walking through the Gospel of Mark. We've taken about 12 weeks kind of exploring uh, the life and ministry and humanity and divinity and power and authority of Jesus Christ. All of that time, all of those weeks lead to today. All of that time, all of those weeks lead to the empty tomb and the resurrection. But before we could talk about the resurrection, we had to spend a week last week in Mark chapter 15 talking about the crucifixion. We wanted to spend some time at the foot of the cross. We wanted to spend some time in the absolute brutality of that moment. We want We wanted to spend some time recognizing, understanding, and honoring the sacrifice of Jesus on that cross, the price that he paid for our sins. Now, in Mark chapter 15, the last words we hear of Jesus as he hang on that cross, his final words before his final breath in the gospel of Mark. Eloi, Eloi, Lema Sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Imagining my Savior, physical body, Broken, bloodied, nailed to a piece of wood. For me, crying out, my God, why have you abandoned me? That's heavy. Now, when Jesus says those words, he is quoting directly from the Old Testament, specifically the 22nd chapter of Psalms. That 22nd Psalm begins with those words, and what we need to understand is in ancient Judaism, it was a very common rabbinical practice that if you wanted to reference an entire Psalm, you would do so by quoting verse 1. I mean, some of these psalms, they're, they're 40, 50, 60, even 70 verses long. Ain't nobody got time for that. So, so they would quote the first verse, and everyone listening would have understood exactly what they were talking about. Everyone that was listening, their mind and their spirit would have gone to the entire passage. There are cynics among you right now saying, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. But I'm going to prove to you that it works. What if I stood here today and said, stop, collaborate, and listen? (laughs) Flow like a harpoon daily, right? All of y'all are right there with me, at least all of you in my generation. Four words, you knew the whole song. 
Four words and you knew exactly where you were when you first heard it. Four words and you're thinking of Vanilla Ice and his big hair and the cool stripes on the side. And some of you are still singing the song in your head right now. Now, in the ancient Near East, amongst the Jewish people, the Psalms, they were songs, they were poems. It had the exact same effect. You quote the first line and they immediately go to the entire psalm. So for those of you that haven't memorized the entire 22nd psalm, that aren't familiar with what Jesus was referencing, let's take just a moment and remember the words of Jesus on the cross on that Friday. Psalm 22, the first two verses say this. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far from my deliverance and from my words of groaning? My God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. By night, yet I have no rest. Do you feel those? I feel that. This psalm written about a thousand years before Jesus was crucified. It continues, going to verse 14. I am poured out like water. All of my bones are disjointed. My heart is like wax melting within me. My strength is dried up like baked clay. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You put me into the dust of death. For dogs have surrounded me. A gang of evildoers has closed in on me. They pierced my hands and my feet. Does any of this sound familiar? I can count all my bones. People look and stare at me. They divided my garments among themselves. And they cast lots for my clothing. Psalm 22, the psalm that Jesus references on the cross moments before his last breath, concludes with these words. I will give you praise in the great assembly. Because of you, I will fill my vows before those who fear you. The humble will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nations will bow down before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord. He rules the nations. All who prosper on earth will eat and bow down. All those who go down to the dust will kneel before him, even the one who cannot preserve his life. Their descendants will serve him. The next generation will be told about the Lord. They will come and declare his righteousness to a people yet to be born. They will declare what he has done. Psalm 22. Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. It is a psalm that begins in despair and defeat and ends in praise and victory. 
You see, as Jesus hung on that cross, moments before his final breath, he was not conceding defeat, just the opposite. Jesus was declaring a victory because he knew what had been done and what was to come. And it is in that victory that we turn to Mark chapter 16. Would you guys stand with me as I read God's word? When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they could go and anoint him. Very early in the morning, on the first day of the week, they went to the tomb at sunrise. They were saying to one another, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb for us? Looking up, they noticed that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. When they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side. They were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he told them. You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they put him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, He's going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you. They went out and ran from the tomb because trembling and astonishment overwhelmed them. And they said nothing to anyone since they were afraid. God, we can't even begin to articulate our gratitude that the tomb is empty. Move amongst us this morning as we celebrate your risen son. It is in his name that we pray. Amen. Young, be seated. Three women, blessed and honored beyond measure to be the first witnesses to the empty tomb. Now, now these women, it's almost impossible to argue against the fact that they were some of, if not the, most devoted and most courageous followers of Jesus. We see in the Gospel of Mark that, that these were the women that were sitting and remaining at the foot of the cross, they were some of the last that remained when nearly all of Christ's followers at best had gone way to the back of the crowd, at worst had run and completely abandoned him because they were terrified of what was going to happen. As the crowds had risen up against Jesus, they might also rise up against them, not these women. These women remained at the foot of the cross, the last to leave. And now we see them in Mark chapter 16, the first to show up at the tomb. Now, if you remember, the 11 remaining disciples, these men that had walked so intimately with Jesus for three years, that had seen the miracles, that had heard the parables and the sermons, that knew He was the Messiah. They were locked up, cowering in that empty room, upper room, excuse me, terrified of what might happen if they came out. Not these women. As soon as the Sabbath was over, 
They left their homes and marched openly and boldly to that tomb because they wanted to honor this man. They wanted to anoint the body. But even in their devotion, even in their faith, even in their boldness, they, like those men cowering in that upper room, still didn't quite have a grasp of the situation. They still didn't fully understand what was going on. As a matter of fact, they went to that tomb not expecting much. As evidenced by the fact that they brought the spices to anoint the body. They weren't expecting to show up and find a tomb that was empty. They really hadn't even thought this thing all the way through. We see them on the way to the tomb at like crazy o'clock in the morning and they've got the spices and they know they want to honor Jesus by anointing his body, but they they haven't even thought about the fact that, that they're going to this place. The tomb is basically a cave carved out of rock and there's a gigantic stone and at that time in the morning, nobody's going to be there. Nobody's going to help them roll this rock away. Oh, we'll, we'll figure it out when we get there. And we know when they arrive, praise the Lord, the, the rock was already moved away. The tomb was already empty. They see the angel who proclaims this good news. Jesus of Nazareth. The man you are seeking, the man that was crucified, he's no longer here. He's risen. How many of us this morning, devoted, faithful, maybe even bold and courageous, continue to look for Jesus amongst the dead? How many of us, having heard the story time and time again, still don't recognize the gravity of the empty tomb and never expect to find it ourselves? You see, the angel that morning, when he proclaims the good news to these women, He is not here. He is risen. It doesn't stop there. He then gives them a command. Go and tell. It doesn't stop here. Go and tell. If you came here this morning and you have forgotten. If you came here this morning and you have never heard. Please give me the great honor. And the great privilege as one who has encountered the empty tomb. To be the one that tells you. The one that you seek is not here. He is risen. You see, on that Friday, Jesus gave himself. He was betrayed and arrested and tortured and murdered. And he willingly gave himself to that fate so that he could take our sins, my sins, 
on to him and he could pay the price for those. So that he could pay the ultimate price for my sins and for your sins, past, present, and future. In that moment, in the crucifixion, we see the true nature of God. We see a God that is devoted to absolute justice. But we also see a God that is devoted to absolute love and absolute mercy. As through that act, the price for all of our sins were paid. But the amazing thing is it didn't end on that Friday, but on that Sunday, the tomb was empty. The Savior rose again, and now we get to walk with a living Jesus. We get to walk with a risen Savior who has defeated, now and forever, sin and death itself. It is not only good news, it is the greatest news. It is life-changing and world-changing news. But some of us this morning aren't so sure that it's good news. Some of us this morning aren't sure that we like the idea of a risen Jesus. If I were to meet a risen Jesus, what's he going to say to me? If I meet a risen Jesus, what's he going to do to me? Some of us are in the exact position Peter would have been in in the hours and days following the resurrection. Look back with me. At Mark 16. Now let's look at the words that the angels, the angels said to these women. Verse 7. But go tell his disciples and Peter. He is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you. Now where was Peter when we last saw him? Jesus had been betrayed. Jesus had been arrested. Jesus was in the process of being tortured. Being condemned to death. And Peter, this man, who in his boldness told Jesus to his face, I will do anything for you. I will even die for you. In that moment, the last time he looked at Jesus, he was so terrified, he completely disavowed any knowledge of him. Three times, Peter denied he had ever heard of that man. He abandoned him, trying to save his own neck. And now you've got these women and, and they've encountered the empty tomb and the angel has told them Jesus is risen and, and they're, they're trembling and they're in awe and they're astonished and they have these mixed emotions. They don't know what's going on and they, they run away. Eventually, as they have a second to think about it and to rest in the gravity and reality of the situation, to recognize that everything Jesus said was true. He, he is risen and he's waiting on us. You can only imagine their excitement to go tell the disciples. 
And they run and they go find the guys. They're like, guys, you'll never believe it. We woke up early this morning and we took our spices and we we're going to anoint Jesus' body, but he's not there. He's risen. And, and he said he's gone to Galilee. And oh yeah, Peter, he told us he was looking for you. I guarantee you Peter didn't laugh. That long walk to the principal's office. You don't know what it holds, but you know it ain't good. Some of us this morning, we hear the news of a risen Jesus and we're like, ah, I'm going the other way because I don't want to hear what he has to say to me. You don't know what I've done. You don't know where I've been. Guys, the Gospel of John tells us of the first conversation, one-on-one conversation that Peter and Jesus had. Post-resurrection. And Jesus meets Peter on the beach, on the shore of a lake. And he cooks him breakfast. And he embraces him with arms full of love. Fully restored into intimate relationship. Then and forever. I don't care what you've done. I don't care where you've been. There's a risen Savior that is waiting for you with open arms. There are others of us that recognize the good news of a risen Savior. But to us, it's kind of like winning a lottery ticket that pays off in 50 years. I get it, that's, that's great, and I'm super excited about it, but it doesn't pay my rent. I am grateful for the work of Jesus on the cross. I am grateful that he has risen from the dead. But I live in the real world. I live in a world that's marked with pain and guilt and shame and brokenness. I live in a world that I have desperately fallen short of people's expectations of me. I live in a world where my perfectionism destroys me every single day. I'm glad that Jesus rose again and we'll deal with that someday. But today, I've got real life to deal with. Hear me say this. Jesus walking out of that tomb means that we get to walk with, live with a risen Savior. It means everything for our eternal life. But eternal life starts today. What does that mean? I'm glad you asked. Paul, in his letter to Rome, chapter 6 of Romans, Paul writes this. 
Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in the newness of life. For if we have been united with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be in the likeness of his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin. Since a person who has died is freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. What does that mean? It means that as a follower of Christ, you died on the cross with him and you are resurrected into a brand new life with him. I once heard a story an old woman told about a conversation with her great-great-grandson. And he asked her, why are your hands so wrinkled? She said, well, because I'm old. And he said, do you know what happens when you're old? You die and they bury you in the ground. Before she could respond, he said, but it's okay. Because Jesus just comes along and unburies you. Guys, that is the gospel. How many of us have been buried by life? How many of us have been buried by our anxiety and our guilt and our shame and our brokenness? How many of us are sitting in that cave carved out of rock wondering who will come and roll that stone away? How many of us have given up hope of ever walking out of that tomb. How many of us, like the prisoners in Plato's cave, are chained and the shadows on the walls have become our reality? Their lies have become our identity. Let me tell you that as a follower of Christ, That stone has been rolled away. Those chains have been broken. And you are free to walk out of that tomb into God's glorious creation. You are free to finally recognize your true identity as the son and daughter of a risen king. It doesn't mean That life is perfect. This new life that we are resurrected into. It doesn't mean that we cease to sin. We are fallen and broken people. And as long as we are on this side of heaven. We continue to live in a fallen and broken world. It doesn't mean that we won't have bouts with guilt and shame. 
that there won't be brokenness in our life. What it means is that we no longer live in that. We are no longer identified by that. We recognize and embrace our identity as a child of the very creator of the universe. There are those of us that showed up this morning just like those women at the tomb and we didn't expect much. We showed up because that's just what you do on Easter. We showed up to see Travis and I wearing our ties for the one time all year. We showed up because our spouse made us. And as soon as I walked up here, we started looking at our watch and dreaming of that sweet, sweet Easter ham. It is my desperate prayer this morning that as you sit in this room, as the words of Mark chapter 16 wash over you, as you recognize a living, risen Savior, you, like those women, are overwhelmed with astonishment to the point that you cannot ignore it. If you came here today confused about what you think might be an exclusive gospel, let me tell you this, it is just the opposite. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of our risen Savior, is the most radically inclusive thing in the world. The gospel does not care who you are. The gospel does not care the color of your skin. The gospel does not care how much money is in your pocket. The gospel doesn't care how you vote. The gospel doesn't care where you stand on whatever political or cultural hot-button issue you want to throw out there. The gospel doesn't care what you've done or where you've been. Jesus said, you are worthy for me to hang on a cross. And Jesus loved you so much, he couldn't stay buried. If you want to know about that Jesus, we're going to have all kinds of coffee and snacks and everything right out here just beyond that room. Me and my friends are going to sit there and we would love to talk with you. We would love to answer every one of your questions. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to introduce you to a risen Savior that loves you so much. He gives you the opportunity to live a life unburied. Would you pray with me? Oh, God. What can we possibly say? How can we possibly thank you? For building a bridge over the gap between you and us.
Thank you for the sacrifice of your son. Thank you that it did not end on that cross. But the stone was rolled away. The tomb is empty. And starting today, we can live forever with the risen Savior. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.